Second Chronicles chapter 23. Let's open with a word of prayer and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, we pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, encourage us, strengthen us, exhort us if necessary. Lord, we ask all these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said. So to catch you guys up, as we know, see, I can't walk around now. I'll be standing here. So to catch you guys up, Chronicles, as we know, was written to the children of Israel who'd been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. They are now returning to Israel, to actually to Judah and to Jerusalem. And because they've been gone for 70 years, Ezra writes this book to them, First and Second Chronicles, which gives them kind of a history lesson of what had taken place before they were taken captive. First Chronicles really focused on King David and his lineage. And then in Second Chronicles, it starts with King Solomon. And as we have seen, the nation of Israel is divided in two pieces. The 10 northern nations are called Israel. The two southern nations are called Judah. We know that every single king that is listed in Israel during this time is evil. All of them. There's not one exception. In Judah, as we're going through Second Chronicles, we're seeing that some of the kings are evil and some of the kings are faithful to God. If you were here last week, I titled the message Guilt by Association. And what took place, if you will remember, is Jehoshaphat was a godly king. He tore down all the idols. He reestablished the teaching of God's word in Judah after following up a wicked king. And as he did that, he made one big compromise. Who remembers what it was? What was it? Thank you. He, was un- he, he married his son to King Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. And her name was Athaliah. And the Bible is clear. Back in Deuteronomy, he would have known this. You're not to marry your believing sons to unbelieving daughters, your believing daughters to unbelieving sons. And it even says in the verse, lest they take you away to worship false idols. So he marries this woman because those days kings did that to make their kingdom stronger, to build alliances, to have greater uh, resources. And again, we don't need to compromise uh, what God's word says to be advanced in the kingdom of God, amen, or in the world, amen? So he does this, and it's been a disaster since it happened. Because Athaliah is Jezebel and Ahab's daughter. Ahab was the worst and most wicked king who ever lived in Israel, according to the word of God. Jezebel, his wife, we talk about this all the time. She was so bad that nobody names her kids Jezebel to this day. 4,000 years later, nobody wants to be called Jezebel because she was no bueno. Amen? So now Athaliah marries his son. And what happens? His son, as soon as Jehoshaphat dies, he starts worshiping false idols. He brings the idols back. He's compromising his faith. And so what we've been seeing, and then he dies, and then his son comes to power. His son only lasts a year. Remember, Athaliah is his mom. So this is their son. He becomes king. And after a year, 
he's dead. Then the text ends with Athaliah killing all of her grandchildren so that she can be the queen and have nobody to challenge her position. Now, how evil of a grandma do you have to be to kill your children, grandchildren, so you can be the queen? This is wicked personified. Amen? Is this working all of a sudden right here? Sounds like it too. Let's see what happens. Is that working? There you go. So as we come to chapter 23, we're going to pick off where Athaliah has been reigning as king, queen, and she had killed all her grandchildren, or so she thought. And there was a brave woman by the name of Jehoshabeth who took the youngest of all her grandchildren, kind of like with Moses, remember? When Moses was supposed to be slaughtered, all the Jewish babies under the age of two, and Pharaoh's daughter hid him away. Well, the same thing as this woman, Jehoshabeth, her, she's married to the high priest. And she's married to him, and she takes the baby, and they hide him in the, in the temple. And it's a good place to hide him from Athaliah, because she doesn't go to temple. <laughs> right? And, and so we're going to see in tonight's text that that young boy is going to get raised up. Now, six years have gone by. Athaliah has been ruling as a wicked, vile queen. She thinks that her, she's invincible. She has no one to challenge the crown, or so she thinks. And now we're going to see what happens in tonight's text. So if you have your outline, grab it. I tiled the message. See, I taught all of that without even looking at my notes. So I, I tiled the message... What will really matter in eternity? What's really going to matter in eternity? Is it going to matter if you were king? Is it going to matter if you were rich? Is it going to matter if you were powerful, handsome, pretty, whatever? Now, again, not those things are necessarily wrong or bad, but the point is that when we stand before the Creator, the things that we strive so much for today will have little or no value in the kingdom of God. Amen? So there's going to be a rude awakening for Queen Athaliah in tonight's text. So what will really matter in eternity? Number one, standing for the truth when nobody else will. We're going to see in tonight's text that only one person, well, actually one man and his wife, are going to make a stand for the truth when it would be so much easier just to say nothing. You see in my notes, I write, any dead fish can go with the flow, right? Anybody can just be like the world. Just do what is expected of you. Just go with, go with it. And don't rock the boat, even if you know it's wrong. Just fly under the radar, and you'll have a long and peaceful life. Well, we know that the easiest thing to do is to stay on the sideline and to mind your own business. But the faithful and godly thing to do is to step out in faith and confront the rampant evil that surrounds us. And that's exactly what he is going to do. This high priest is going to stand up and say it's evil and it's wrong. And he's going to do something about it. Now, Athaliah, we know, is a woman like Jezebel and Ahab who would kill somebody as quick as look at him. So doing this requires him to step out in faith. We're going to see him do that. Number two, what will really matter in eternity? Placing the rightful king on the throne. Now, we're going to see the king on the throne in Israel. And we're going to see that picture. But every one of us has 
someone on the throne of our lives. It's either us or it's the Lord. Amen. And we need the rightful king on the throne because when I'm on the throne of my life, I'm going to be led by my flesh, my desires, right? I'm going to be, be drawn away by the things that my, my dead sinful flesh wants instead of honoring the Lord. And so we're going to see in tonight's text that having the wrong person on the throne needed to be fixed. And if you're here tonight and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says, let today be the day of salvation. He needs to be the one on the throne, not us. Recognize and sound the alarm when the enemy's on the throne. We'll see that in tonight's text. And the same needs to be true for us as individuals. By the way, we're going to see several things that will take place if, you're, if the Lord is on the throne of your life. If the rightful king is in the place, if the rightful king is on the throne of my life or your life, we're going to see that impacted in a lot of different ways in the way that we live. Same thing we'll see in tonight's text. Number three, the wicked will be taken by surprise. Athaliah is not going to get a warning. She's going to be ruling for six years. She thinks she's going to rule for the rest of her life. She has no fear of her wicked uh, way that she's lived. Like I said, she slaughtered all her grandchildren. All her children are dead. She, she wiped out anybody that would keep her from power in the position that she wanted. And now she's ruling in it. And she's been ruling in it for six years. And no doubt she thinks, no one can ever touch me. And you've heard me say that God's grace is not God's permission. You know, often we may live outside of God's will and we may continue living outside of God's will. And over time, maybe there's no consequences. The good news is that, again, God is faithful and in control. And even though God shows us grace for a period of time, it's not God saying that our behavior is okay. Now, guys, are we saved by grace or good works? What's the answer? We're saved by grace. It's not because we're good. It's because he's good. He suffered and died that we might have eternal life. That being said, as believers, being born again, we should love God and hate sin. And the sin I hate the most is the sin of my own life. Amen? Amen. And so we're going to see that picture in tonight's text. By the way, being full-time, a lot of great things are happening, which I just love. But one of them, on Tuesday, just sidebar real quick, the fourth grade class has been praying for me all year. They each, each class here picked a pastor. And so they've been praying for me, and they've been sending me cards every week. And, praying. and so they asked me to come and answer Bible questions. And so I'm standing in the middle of two rooms full of fourth graders. I answered a, a, over 120 questions about the Bible with a bunch of nine-year-olds. And it was awesome. You know, anything from how tall was Goliath to is suicide the unpardonable sin? If you steal a pencil and you murder somebody and they're both sin, or some sins little sins and some sins big sins? Pretty heavy questions from nine-year-olds. And then I put my, my uh, phone number on the board and told them they could text me with Bible questions, and my phone has been blowing up <laughs> since Tuesday with texted Bible questions about everything under the sun. And I love it. I think it's the coolest thing ever. It's just cool. And if I was still working my full-time job like I was until a few weeks, a couple months ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And I thought, man, this right here is just worth it by itself. Number four, make a renewed commitment to God. 
Guys, I don't think any of us should ever be satisfied with where we are spiritually. And again, we're saved by grace, not by works. We're not trying to earn heaven because it's a free, you know, it's a, it's not, it's a gift, not a paycheck, right? If we earned it, it'd be a paycheck. It's a free gift. But, you know, when you're closer to the Lord, you want to live more like him. And I'm going to encourage you with a few things at the end of the text that we're going to see when there's a renewed commitment to God. When he's the one that's truly on the throne of your life, you're going to see these things in your life growing day by day. So let's begin there looking at what will really matter in eternity. First, we're going to see standing for the truth when no one else will. Verse 1 says, In the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself and made a covenant with the captains of hundreds, Azariah the son of Jehoram, Ishmael the son of Jehonan, Azariah the son of Obad, Masai the son of Adiah, and Eliphath son of Zikri. Now Jehoiada was a godly man who was concerned with restoring the throne of David to the line of David and taking it away from Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. But that it's not as easy as it sounds. Athaliah had all of the armies at her, at her bequest. She was ruling. She had uh, authority that nobody could really challenge. But this man saw that this was wrong. Now, remember, too, that the baby that was saved was the last remaining living person on the planet in the line of David. And David, we know that through the line of David is going to come who? Jesus. Jesus. And so if he had died, and so a lot of people for six years in Judah thought, all the line of David's dead. And so what, Je- what God promised can't even happen. And so they were perplexed by that. We've got a wicked queen in ruling. They, she's established idolatry all over. She's a Baal worshiper. All this is taking place. In the midst of that, you've got a high priest and his wife hiding this little baby and raising him in the temple. And at this point, they've had him for six years. So they got him when he was a year old. Now he's seven. And, he's, and, he, and the king is going to step up. He's been exhorted in his own heart. So he keeps the baby secret. He finally takes, again, some choice men into his confidence. So he calls these guys in. Hey, guys, i got to tell you something. So he brings in these other priests These are not army guys. These are not lieutenants. These are not soldiers. There are other guys who serve in the temple. And he calls them all in and goes, hey, guys, look who's here. Uh, That's Joash. He's actually the last remaining in the line of David. And no doubt they must have been like, whoa, we had no idea. And praise God that there are people that will do what is right even when nobody else will. Amen? Amen. And people that will stand for the things of God when nobody else will. And so now he's like, okay, it's time. We've had the wicked queen long enough. We're going to install this seven-year-old boy on the throne where he belongs. And trust God and and these other priests to come alongside him and help him to rule. But he's going to, it's going to take some... It's going to take some fortitude and some guts to step out and do this, knowing he could lose his life and Joash's life could be on the line. And so it's going to take some preparation. The easiest thing for him to do would have been to just shut himself in the temple, mind his own business, and let everything run its course. But the noble and faithful thing was to step out in faith and confront the rampant evil in his time. 
It has been said that evil triumphs when good men do nothing. Evil triumphs when good men do nothing. When you see that something is wrong and you say nothing. And here's what happens, especially right around now. Everybody's afraid to speak up because they think they're going to get canceled. Are they going to get attacked? Or someone's going to go after you? Or you'll lose your job or whatever, right? And so what happens is we just become dead fish, going with the flow, living like the world. Now, again, we should never be self-righteous, arrogant, or obnoxious, but we, we should stand for the truth. Amen? And God has called you to be salt and light in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, if other people in your family don't know the Lord. James 4.17 says, Therefore, for him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. For us today as born-again believers in the midst of a wicked generation, the easiest thing is to do nothing, to go with the flow, to fear men more than we fear God. We're called to love God and to hate sin, to be light in a lost and a dying world, to stand for the truth even when no one else will. And Jehoiada is an example of a faithful and godly man who was willing to risk his life to stand for the truth when no one else will. Here's another guy I want to have a taco with in heaven. Amen? Here's another guy I want to sit down with and just talk to when we have eternity to hang out together. You know, the world is filled with Athaliahs, with evil and wicked people that have a flesh-driven agenda, that mock God and those that follow him, who use fear tactics and call for tolerance to silence the truth of God's word and those who stand for it. I don't know if you've seen what's going on with the Dodgers right now. So the Dodgers have, you know, their gay pride night. And this year they're bringing a group of drag queens who dress like nuns who, are go who do pole dances on the cross while mocking Jesus. And then they canceled them and then they got kind of canceled from the other side. So now they're going to do it anyway. And a lot of people are going to start boycotting the Dodgers and there's some Christian players on the team, and one of them, his name is Trinian, his last name is, and he just said, this is wrong, this is sinful, this is perverse, and he's on the Dodgers. He could lose his job. God bless him. Can I get an amen to that? And too often what happens, and again, we love everybody, we want to see people saved, but this is perversion being magnified and being glorified, and, and, and we need to stand up and love the people, but we got to hate the sin and call it out for what it is. Amen. That's nauseating. So our turn to be the Jehoiadas and the Jehoshabes of this generation. We must do more than worship the Lord within the walls of the church. We need to proclaim the truth to a lost and a wicked generation. Guys, when you walk down that hill, you're entering your mission field. And when you go out that way, then when we leave here, we're called to be, we come in here to be fed, to be refueled, to be strengthened, and then we go back out there to represent Jesus. Verse 2 and 3. It says, now when, And they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites from all over the cities of Judah and the chief fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. So they went out and got, again, these are not military guys. They're getting, the, the priests and the Levites were the ones that served in the temple. They were the ones that administered the sacrifices. They were the ones that in some cities they'd be the counselor that people came to. Uh, the court of authority. And so they're going to gather all these guys together because they're fearful of getting the military guys because they work for Queen Athaliah. So they just get a bunch of godly guys and they're all going to come together 
And he's bringing them together to put everything into place. Verse 3, that all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And they said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has said of the sons of David. Now, they all gather together, the seven-year-old boys brought out, and these guys all get together, and what do they quote? The word of God and the promises of God. Amen? God's word says that through the line of David, it will be through that line that the Messiah will come, and that God said that he would have people from the lineage of David rule and reign on the throne. And this is the one that we thought it was over with. We thought there was nobody left. He's the one. We're going to stand for him. We're going to stand beside him because this is what God wants. And we're not going to bow to the world in the midst of it. Imagine them bringing him out. Behold the king's son. Here he is. The fulfillment of God's promise. God preserved his promise line, uh, the promise line of David that would lead to Jesus. Notice they all make a covenant with the king. From the place where the oath was made to the context of the oath, we learn the worship of the true and living God was not dead in Judah, even though there was a wicked queen, even though idolatry was running rampant, perversion and sexual immorality was running rampant, godlessness was everywhere. In the middle of that, there was still a group that worshiped the true and living God. Guys, may that be said of us. We live in California. I grew up here. I was raised here. I love our state in a lot of ways. Some things not so much. But here's the reality. God has us here to be salt and light in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. Amen? That's why we're here. Wherever we live, God has us there for a reason. And we live in a great mission field. This was a dramatic moment when he came out and one reason Athaliah was able to reign for six years was that there was no alternative. She was wicked, but they had no other choice. What were they going to do? They had nowhere to turn. Now, all of a sudden, there's an alternative. And he answers God's promise. This is our guy. We need to stand up for him. Verse 4 and 5. Then it says there, this is what you shall do. One third of you entering the Sabbath of the priests and Levites shall be keeping watch over the doors. One third shall be at the king's house. One third at the gate of the foundation. All the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. So what they did, God, our God is a God of order. And he gives assignments to each of these priests and Levites that some of you are going to be guarding the house where uh, the king is living. Some of you are going to guard the doors for people coming into the temple. Don't let them in. And what he's doing is he's putting up uh, uh, some protection around the king in preparation for proclaiming him as the king. So they all come together and they're protecting the king. And as believers, the Lord doesn't need us to protect him, but he needs us to proclaim him. Amen. He doesn't need our protection. We need his. But notice that they, are, they come together and say, we're in this together, and we each have different areas where we're called to serve, and we're all going to be faithful to do this, and we're going to be obedient to the Lord, and God is going to use this. And that's the same thing God wants to do with us. Amen? You have gifts I don't have. I might have gifts you don't have. When we all use the gifts God's given us, we can minister to people and meet them in their need. 
So the part of the gate of the foundation, the writer in 2 Kings calls this the third part of the gate behind the guard. This is the southern gate of the temple. And he tells them, plan, you know, he had a plan to dispose the wicked queen and replace her with the king, this young boy, and the leaders needed to follow this plan. And they did it on the Sabbath. And let me tell you why they did it on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, they would have a changing of the guard, if you will. All the new, all the priestly ones would come in and they would replace the ones going out. And instead, they're all just going to stay there. So they're going to have more people serving, more people watching over the king, more people enlisted in this plan. Jehoiada chose the Sabbath for the day of the coup because that was the day when the guards changed their shifts and they could assemble two groups of guards at the temple at the same time without attracting attention. Guys, it was a weighty work he went about, and therefore he took the wisest course, the fittest time on the Sabbath when the congregation met in the temple, when Athaliah and her people would not come. He's in the temple. She's an idol worshiper. There's a temple in the Baal that they had built down the road. That's where she would be. So when all of God's people are gathered together to worship, all the true worshipers of God, they're all going to be in one place, and this is when the announcement is going to be made. Guys, when we serve God, we want to step out in faith, but we also should be people that actually are organized and plan things. Amen? I had a guy came to our church in Santa Cruz, and he used to say to me, and our church had grown, it was very large, and God was blessed, and God was using it. He's like, you know, I think what we should do, we shouldn't plan anything. We should just all show up and let the Holy Spirit move. Like, whoever has a word, let them get up and teach. And whoever wants to do this, let them do that. And I'm like, the Bible says the Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion, bro. That would be a nightmare. That would be a mess. You don't want me up here leading worship. You'd all die. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, God has a calling on our lives, and there's a place where God wants to use us, and we need to have organization. And, and I don't think anybody should ever up and get up and teach the Bible who hasn't studied to do it. Amen? And no one should get up and lead worship if they're not prepared to do it. And we shouldn't be serving in children's ministry if we're not praying over those kids, right? I mean, wherever God is using you, we want to be faithful to that. But notice what it says in verse 6 and 7. But let no one come into the house of the Lord except the priests, those of the Levites who serve. They may go in, for they are holy. But all the people shall keep the watch of the Lord. And the Levites shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in hands. Whoever comes into the house, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. This just sounds like a great movie right here. You got all these priests loaded up with swords. So all the pastors come to church. Here's your sword. Dude. We're all going to stand right here. And notice what it says. If anybody comes in after the king, they're to kill them. Now, again, God's going to protect the one that he has called to be the line to, 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 to uh, David, to, through David, to Jesus. And the same is true that here we have them, this is a calling on their life. They're taking seriously what the command is to do, and they are willing to fight for it if they need to. These guys are like the secret service, if you will. You know, when the king went around, they'd all be standing next to him. Make sure that he, no one's going to attack him. No one's going to take him out. Now, again, can God protect that little boy? What's the answer? But God can still use people to do it, right? That's why sometimes we'll say, well, if God wants to do it, God will do it. Well, if God wants to do it, God may want you to do it. God may choose you to be the one. Amen? He may put you on that divine appointment. And so we need to be ready and prepared to be used 
for the Lord. While preparing the unveiling of the king to the people gathered on the Sabbath and plotting the overthrow of the wicked queen, they kept guards around the king within the temple to keep Queen Athaliah and her followers from assassinating the true king. Should they be concerned about her wanting to assassinate him? What's the answer? That's all she does. They killed all the older brothers, then they killed all the grandbabies. This woman is as wicked as it gets. Praise God for godly, a godly man and woman standing up when nobody else would. So number one, what really will matter in eternity, standing for the truth when nobody else will. People need to hear the truth of who the Lord is and what he's done for us. Number two, by placing the rightful king on the throne. Now watch this. Verse eight. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And each man took his men who were with him on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath for Jehoiada the priest had, dis- had not dismissed the division. So again, they're doubling up the number of guys in the temple. They're all watching around the king. They're about to reveal who he is. And they want to make sure that, again, everything's done in order and that the king is protected. Then it says in verse 9, And Jehoiada, the priest, gave to the captains of the hundreds the spears and large and small shields which belonged to King David that were in the temple of God. Now, if you were here back in Kings, I think it's even in Samuel, when David uh, had you know, taken captive and defeated his enemies, he made all these spears and shields and he put them on the walls in the temple. And when they did it, there were literally hundreds of them and they were made out of solid gold. So they weren't cheap. And so what happened was he puts those on the wall and they're kind of like decorations. And then you fast forward about 200 years and those decorations on the wall had a use. He took them down and now they're going to use them to protect the son of David, his great, 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 great grandson, whatever number of greats that it is, that is now going to be the new king. And isn't it amazing how God can use something that somebody does in the past and use it to minister to people in the future? Amen? Some of those things that you don't see the fruit right away, you may see in the future. If you've never heard this, I'm going to take some time to read this. If you're new to our church, I don't do this typically. But I love this. This is one of my favorite stories. I love it. I'm going to read it too. It's called, It Started with a Sunday School Teacher. It was... In the year of 1858 in the city of Boston, Edwin Kimball was a young Sunday school teacher who made it a habit to personally give each student in his class an opportunity to accept Jesus as his savior. He was concerned about one of his students who worked in a shoe store. One day, Kimball visited the young man at the store when he found him in the back stocking shelves and he led him to Christ. That student's name was D.L. Moody. Anybody ever heard of that guy? Okay, D.L. Moody was the... 19th century version of Billy Graham. So this teacher is being faithful. Then it says this, who eventually became one of the greatest evangelists of all time. Moody became an inspirational speaker and toured the British Isles. He preached in a little chapel pastored by a young man named Frederick Meyer. In his sermon, he told the story of a Sunday school teacher. The message changed Pastor Meyer's ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist like Moody. And Meyer eventually preached in America in Northfield, Massachusetts, where a young preacher heard him say, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? That remark changed the life of a man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman to respond to God's call in his life. 
Wilbur Champlin became an effective evangelist. He enlisted the help of a volunteer named Billy Sunday. Anybody heard of that guy? You should check him out. Billy Sunday, who helped set up crusades. Billy Sunday learned how to preach by visiting Chapman and eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming a dynamic evangelist. Billy Sunday, with what a great name for a pastor. Christian Sunday would have been better, but Billy Sunday, (laughs) preaching brought thousands to Christ. Now, inspired by the Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of Christian men dedicated themselves to reaching their city for Christ. They invited the evangelist Mordecai Ham to come to hold a series of evangelistic meetings in 1932. So this started in 1860s, fast forward 70 years. A local farmer loaded up his pickup truck with neighbors and brought them to the meetings. One was a 16-year-old boy who stood in the crowd each night spellbind by the message. Each evening, the preacher seemed to be shouting and waving right at him. Night after night, the teenager came, and finally on the last night, he went forward and gave his life to Christ. That teenager's name was Billy Graham. So because one Sunday school teacher was faithful to teach the word, and had a heart for a kid that was at work and went and ministered to him. You, you fast forward all the generations. And again, Billy Graham was a sinner saved by grace. He would tell you that. But it can be argued that he preached the gospel to more people than anybody else in the history of the world. Because a faithful Sunday school teacher taught some children and invited him to Christ. Now look, I'm, I don't belong in this list anywhere, but most of you have heard my story. My dad was a pastor, but I was in Mrs. Green's Sunday School class at the First Baptist Church in Wilmington in 1968, and I can still remember it. It's the grace of God. She put up this little flannel board thing, and she showed the picture of the cross, and I, and I just got it. For the first time, she says, anybody want to give their life to Jesus? I remember raising my little hand. She prayed with me afterwards. She sat and prayed with me again. She gave me a little white Bible. I went home after church. My dad was painting the garage door yellow. And I said, my dad said, how was Sunday school? I said, dad, I gave my life to Jesus today. And you know what? Fast forward 55 years. And anything that's happened in my life, not that I've done much, but anything that's happened in my life is on her account. Amen? And then anybody that maybe I've ministered to and that person ministers to and that person ministers to. But see, he brought in those shields. I know it seems a little bit of reach, but he brings those in. It seems like nothing. But now, look, 200 years later, God's going to use it. And the same is true. Sometimes when you're doing things for the Lord, you don't see the immediate fruit. And we don't have to see the immediate fruit. We just need to be obedient and trust that God will use it for his glory in his own time. Amen? And I just love that picture. I, I, I read this, I don't know, once a year or so, just to be reminded that just those little things, meeting that one person for counseling, sharing with that one person, you know, online, talking to a coworker, you just don't know how God's going to use that going into the future. Amen? Verse 10. And then it says there, then he set up all the people, every man with his weapon in his hand, as we were talking about on the right side of the temple, along with the altar by the temple, all around the king. They brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, gave him the testimony, and made him king. Then Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, Long live the king. Now I want you to notice what has to happen before he can become king. They need to bring him out. They need not have him in hiding. If the Lord's going to be the king of your life, It can't be an undercover thing that you tell no one about. Amen? If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. So when he becomes the king, the first thing that happens is they bring him out. Here's our king. This is him. 
We're following him. This is the king. We're putting him on the throne. They put a crown on him. Again, this was a public and official recognition of him as king. When I think of that, I almost think of getting baptized. Like, you know what? Like, I'm letting everybody know that he's my king. The crown is upon him. I'm not ashamed that I walk with him, that he's the king of my life, that he rules and reigns over my life, that I recognize him as the king. Again, confessing him publicly what he has done. Notice they gave him the testimony. What's that a word for? What's a better word for that? It's the word of God. They gave him the word of God. Now, if you go all the way back many years before, uh, they would write, handwrite an entire now, up to this point, you had, this, you had the book, Law of Moses, right? The first five books of the Bible. And maybe some more of these have been written by now. And what they had to do is they would handwrite word for word the Bible, and they would give that to the king, and he would have his own copy. And then most kings, what they would have to do is then make their own copy from that copy. Handwrite the entire, you know, again, whatever parts of the Bible had been written by them. And what happens when you're handwriting the Bible? It's becoming part of you. Amen? And then he's going to take what he's given and he's going to share it with other people. And guys, so part of us really making Jesus king is not being ashamed of him, letting everyone know he's on the throne of our life, openly confessing him, and then studying his word and telling other people about him. Amen? And that's how they present him as the king. Deuteronomy 18, 17, 18 says, the, the king should have his own copy of the scriptures. This is the basis, again, for the British custom of presenting the monarch with a copy of the Bible during their coronation. They might want to read it. So they gave him the testimony, again, a copy of the law of Moses, and they gave little Joash a copy, and again, which was what a king was supposed to have according to the law. So a king was to have his own written handwritten copy. The king was to read it every day of his life. He was to learn to fear God and obey his word. This would keep his heart from becoming proud and would help him to obey the word, which would bring a blessing to the nation. Wouldn't you love that if we did that with the president? Amen. Got to read the word every day. We're going to be led by the word. We're going to follow the word. It keeps us humble there's very few humble politicians in to read the book. Amen? It's one of the few incidences where we see the kings actually paying attention to God's word. And it seems that during Joash's life, that Uncle Jehoiada made him do more than just carry the law. And we'll read about this in chapter 24, how Joash seems to know the word and is making decisions based on what the word of God says. And again, I think there's a sense in which we're kings in our lives and we need help in ruling our lives, and we need the guidebook for our lives, and that guidebook is God's Word. Guys, the Word of God should be more than a reference book on Sunday morning and whenever you're in trouble. Oh man, I messed up. Where's my Bible? It's Sunday morning. Where did I put my Bible last? By the way, when I was a youth pastor, kids would leave their Bible in youth group. I would hide it and see how long it took them to tell me they didn't have it. If they come back in three weeks, I'm like, really, bro? I've had it for three weeks. Have you eaten in three weeks? Which is a desire of the word of God more than necessary food. Amen? It's supposed to be our daily bread, our source of godly wisdom, and our intimacy with the Lord. So they made him king. And the king's son had to be received. He had the royal right to impose his reign, but instead he was put into that place again by those who followed the Lord. 
God saved the king. They anointed him. The word anointing there is to, to spread a liquid. A term Messiah means the anointed one. And the Jewish writers say that the son of the king was not to be anointed because he already had the right to the throne. But anointing of a man to be king came only when a new dynasty started. Saul was the first king. David, not from Saul's family, had to be anointed because he was not in his line. Solomon, through David's son, had to be anointed. In the northern kingdom, just Jehu had been anointed king to take the place of Ahab. And here Joash is anointed because Athaliah had usurped the throne, and he's now being placed in her position. So point number two there, by placing the rightful king on the throne. Who's on the throne of your life? Who rules and reigns in your life? Is it the Lord or is it you? Number three, the wicked will be taken by surprise. Now, Athaliah probably got up in her queen thing that day, had all those people serving her and walking through the, you know, the, the, the city and everybody bowing to her and thinking she had life by the tail. And look what happens. Now, when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. I'm, I'm surprised she could find it. So she runs to the temple, probably the first time she's been there as queen. And when she looked, there was a king standing by his pillar and an entrance. And the leaders and trumpeters were by the king. And all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And also the singers with musical instruments and those who led in praise. See, guys, when God is on the throne, it leads to praise. Amen? When God is on the throne, people rejoice. When the, when the King of kings and the Lord of lords is ruling and reigning over your life, there is such joy and such peace and such rejoicing in the midst of that. But watch what Athaliah has to say. So Athaliah tore her clothes and said, treason, treason. Boy, if that's not the pot calling the kettle black. Treason, treason, you mean, hello, miss, killed all your grandchildren to get the throne? Because you're more concerned about being in power than you are about people, even your own grandchildren, you would have to, you, you'd have to kill me 57 times before I lifted a finger on one of my grandchildren. That's just crazy. And we've got grandparents here who are all saying amen to that. You could kill me 10 times over. Are you kidding me? And this just shows how wicked and perverse this woman was. But she's crying out, treason, treason. You know, when she unexpectedly heard all these acclamations, it disturbed her mind. Who's getting praised besides me? It's only for me, right? She's so focused on herself. And so she runs to the temple, and when she sees it, she's angered. How dare anybody be worshipped but me? How dare anybody else be praised? How dare anybody blow a trumpet for anybody but me? Boy, the Bible says a pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Do you know who this reminds me of? Who does this remind us of in the Bible? Lucifer right? I will be like the most high. I will be on the throne. I will be the king. And then he got cast out of heaven. Being a pillar, Jesus said of the church in Philadelphia, that he that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. I love the idea that the king stood by the pillar. God wants to make you one of his pillars. He wants to stand by you. Isn't it good to know that you don't go through this life alone? Isn't it good to know that he'll never leave you nor forsake you? That when you walk through the greatest trials of your life, he walks with you. If you get a chance, there's a new song by Toby Matt called Faithfully. And his son passed away right around the same time as mine. And God's really used him a lot to minister to me. And in this song, he's singing about how, how difficult it was and how he almost didn't make it. How, it was, how he just grieved so deeply. And what part of the song is, he said, but Lord, 
I was never alone because you were always with me faithfully. Amen? And see, it's in our greatest trials that we're not alone. God, if God is for us, who can be against us? You plus God is a majority. Amen? And we need to know that God is on our side. We're on his side. He didn't need to be on our side. We're on his side. All the people of the land rejoicing, as will any when the rightful king takes his place and the wicked. By the way, every wicked ruler is temporary. All of them. They all get struck down. It's just a matter of time. Amen? So they're not going to live forever. They're going to stand before the creator of the universe, and they're singing praise songs. They're worshiping the Lord. And so she's crying out treason. And it wasn't Jehoiada committing treason. Joash was the rightful heir to the throne of David. Athaliah was the one who was out of line. She was not a descendant of David. And all who take the throne that does not belong to them again will only be there temporarily. My prayer for all of us is that we will only be on, our, on the throne of our lives temporarily and we'll surrender it to the Lord. Amen? All who reject the Lord and place themselves on the throne of their lives are in for a rude awakening if they do not repent. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Athaliah woke up that morning thinking her life was going to be the same. That she was going to rule and reign and probably had plans on things she was going to do and puffing herself up. Little did she know this is going to be her last day on earth. She's going to be bowing before the king of kings before the sun goes down. Look at verse 14 and 15. And Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of the hundreds who were set over the army and said, Take her outside under guard and slay her with the sword and whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not kill her in the house of the Lord. Now people read verses like this in the Bible and as a pastor will go, What kind of God is that? Slaughtering this woman. Uh, she killed her grandchildren. Amen. When he wipes out groups of people, how dare they wipe out the Amalekites? The Amalekites had 300 years to repent and were slaughtering the innocent for 300 years. And God finally brought righteous judgment. Our God is a loving, gracious, and merciful God, but he's also a righteous God. Amen. Now, why would they not want to slay her inside the temple? Pastor Day's perspective. All the sacrifices made in the temple were holy sacrifices for sinful people. Amen? They were all pictures of who? Jesus. The lamb had to be perfect. Every bull, you know, without out any, you know, malnormities, anything like that. No, they had to be perfect. They had to be healthy. had to be firstborn. All these things they had to be. All pictures of Jesus. And so there's not going to be the shedding of the blood of the wicked in the temple because it's the shedding of the blood of the holy for the wicked that takes place in the temple. Does that make sense? Again, I didn't see that in any commentaries. That's just what God put on my heart. So that's my opinion. And I think it fits. I just think it fits. So Athaliah doesn't see it coming. They're taking her outside. Look at verse 15. So they seized her and she went by the way of the entrance of the horse gate into the king's house and they killed her there. Again, she didn't see it coming. Having her mind removed that all her rivals were dead. She slaughtered her own grandchildren in pursuit of power and position. And Athaliah had reigned for six years of absolute power with no accountability, a wicked, idolatrous, prideful murderer who followed in the footsteps of her wicked mother, Jezebel. She might have wanted to pay attention to how Jezebel died. You guys, remember what happened to Jezebel? She did. And what happened when she landed on the ground? Who came along and... The dogs came. 
Now, if your mom's wicked and that's what happens to her, you might think, it's not good to be wicked. She, didn't, she followed her mom's uh, example and her demise was just as uh, treacherous. Again, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit for a fall. In Psalm 37, it says, But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They'll be sacrificed. Righteous judgment for the prideful and wicked will come without warning. Well, if there is a God, I'll just wait, you know, I just want to party with my friends now. And then when I get older, you know, like you, Pastor Dave, then... Then I'll give my life to Jesus, but I want to just, you know, I want to go to ragers until then. The reality is nobody has a promise of tomorrow. None of us. We could be standing for the king of kings for the night's out. If they need volunteers, I'm in. Amen. Don't kill her in the house of the Lord. Bloodshed in the temple. Again, holy sacrifices. So they seize her. It's appointed for man once to live and then to die and then the judgment. While she worshiped Baal. Where's Baal? She's getting attacked. Where's Baal? Is he helping out? Where's, where's, the, where's the idol that she worships? Where's the idol that she propped up? We, we saw Baal back with Elijah. If you're going to Israel with us, by the way, if you haven't signed up for Israel, we still have a little time. I think we're about 124 people going to Israel. But um, to the four churches. But we're going to go to Mount Carmel. And we're going to see where Elijah and the prophets of Baal put on a contest. And what it basically was that they put out uh, on an altar something to be consumed. They had the wood and everything there and a sacrifice. And they each were going to cry out to their God and see if their God could take the sacrifice and bring the fire. And the prophets of Baal, may have been hundreds of them, it was a lot of them, are marching around crying out to their God. And we know from the Bible that Elijah is mocking them hard. He's like, where's your God? Maybe he's out hunting. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's asleep. And he's mocking them. Well, they cry out. They start cutting themselves. We wound ourselves for the... They do all this stuff to themselves. No fire. Elijah goes over when it's his turn. And it's in a huge drought where it had not rained in three years. And he's taking water that's precious and valuable. And he's dumping it on top of the wood and on top of the sacrifice to make it even harder for the fire to light. He gets down on his knees and he prays. Fire comes down from the sky from Almighty God. And it not only consumes the wood and the sacrifice, but burns up the entire altar. And then what happened? God instructed Elijah to put all the prophets of Baal to death. Again, that would have been a good lesson to learn. But here she is, sometime later, continuing to worship the false gods of this world. The false gods of this world, by the way, and I, I believe this is pretty sound. Most people believe that every false god has demons behind it. So when people are worshiping it, they're actually worshiping the demonic. It's just something that they, and you know, we're going to worship something or somebody. Going to serve somebody, right? Bob Dylan, right? We're all worshiping somebody. But we worship a true and living God. Again, the only one who's triumphed over sin and death. Last point. Make a renewed commitment to God. In light of all of this, how should we respond as believers? May we make a renewed commitment to God. Wherever we are spiritually, could we all grow more? What's the answer? We could all be closer to the Lord. And that's certainly my heart. Let's finish up with this. It says there, beginning there in verse 16. It says, Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and the people and the king that they should be the Lord's people. And I love this. Because for six years, it's been Baal worship. It's been idolatry running amok. 
Now they have a new king in place. The, the king is seven years old, so Jehoiada is leading him as the priest, and he's the one that him and his wife are raising him. And he makes a covenant between God, the king, and the people, and says, we're going to be people of the Lord. Wouldn't it be amazing if our governor or our president or someone in some position did that? Amen? And that's what's going to happen. This is going to radically change this entire nation because they had been walking in open idolatry. They've been walking outside of God's will. They shall be God, the Lord's people. The covenant was between the Lord, the King, and the people, and they recommitted their lives to honor, obey, and to serve God. So, the first thing that I wrote there in making a renewed covenant to God, the, co- the covenant or commitment has to be to one. We serve one. Choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? You can't serve God and the world. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and your, make your relationship more important than God or make your children anything. The commitment needs to be one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So our commitment is to him above everything else. Amen? Amen. And when he is the priority and the passion of your life, it's going to make you a better worker, a better husband, a better wife, better parents. Why? Because when you walk and pursue the Lord, it's going to change and mold you more to the image of our Savior, and God will use you in a mighty and a powerful way. Elijah made it clear when he called fire down from the sky. I'm standing with him. Who are you standing with? They all went and stood over with Baal. All their lives were taken. Elijah stood with God. And we know that Elijah, again, went to heaven in a pretty awesome way. Amen? The whole point is you make a choice. Choose today again whom you will serve. In, in, in Mark uh, 6, no man can serve two masters. For you either hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold on to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or the things of the world. Again, the problem is that we try to serve two masters too much, but end up having too much of the world to enjoy the Lord, and too much of the Lord to enjoy the world. Let me say that again. We end up having too much of the world to enjoy the Lord, and too much of the Lord to enjoy the world. We find ourselves in the middle, you know, I call it spiritual splits, right? You got one hand, one foot in the world, and one foot in the kingdom, and before you know it, it does nothing but hurt. Now watch what they do. They made a choice. We made a covenant with God. Now let's, show, let's see how they make that covenant. Verse 17, all the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They broke it in pieces, its altars, its images, and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. They made a covenant with God and they destroyed the thing that was contrary to God. Now as believers, as we commit our lives to him, and I'm not, I, don't want, I don't want to be legalistic at all. Because I think we need to err on the side of grace always. Amen? But I'll just tell you my story quickly because we got a little bit of time. When I first got the job that I just retired from for thir- after 35 years, the first year I was a young man. I was not a pastor. People used to ask me if I'd be a pastor like my dad. I'd say no. Super competitive. And by God's grace, I had a desire to be the number one rep in the entire company in the nation. And as a 25-year-old rep working hard with God's blessing, I ended up winning the sales award. They had me get up at Anaheim Convention Center in front of 2,000 salespeople to explain to them why I'm successful. I mentioned the Lord. I talk about hard work, things like that. I'm driving home with this crystal statue thing. Looks like a triangle or something. It's got my name on it. And I pull off on the side of the road in Acton. I was living in Lancaster at the time. 
And I had my sunroof open. I was looking up at the sky, and I just started weeping. I was 26 years old, and I said, Lord, is this all you want for me? I mean, so what? Okay, I made a bunch of money. So what? I got a big house. Who cares? Broke some sales records. Won't matter in heaven. And I believe personally for me, that was the first time in my life I was actually baptized. I've been a Christian since I was four and a half. But I never truly understood. I just said, Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. I just remember saying that. Whatever, whatever you want me to do, I'm in. You want us to move to China, we'll go. And I just cried out to the Lord. I went home and told my wife. My wife will tell you that the guy that came home that day was different than the guy she had married five years earlier. She said, you know, babe, you were saved. But when you got home that day, you were really saved. Got saved real good, as my dad would say. And it's when we, less of us and more of him, and the following Friday, that was on a Friday, on Sunday, the pastor said, anybody here, you feel like God wants to do more with your life? I'm starting a uh, discipleship class. I said, I'll go. After a couple weeks, he said, why don't you pray about being the youth pastor? And I said, I don't know what a youth pastor does, but I told God I'd go to China, so I guess I'll hang out with teenagers. <laughs> and and uh, about a month later, he had me teach on a, on a midweek with no notice, and my life just took a radical change in direction, and I'm thankful for that. But the point is that God will use those things where we recognize that the things we're chasing after in the world, just in the end, have no real value. Again, do, should we be the best workers in the building? What's the answer? Should we do our job as unto the Lord on time? Stay, give, give them a full day's pay. Treat your customers well if you have clients. Do all of that. But guys, in the end, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? The renewal requires that we make him not just the priority, but we surrender our lives fully to him. Second thing I put there, renewal means going farther in your walk with Jesus. It wasn't enough that they killed out the lie and set up a new king. It wasn't enough they made a promise to serve Yahweh. They needed to rid themselves of Baal worship, get rid of the altars, get rid of the images. They even killed the high priest of Baal. These things going on in the temple as well. It will take some time, but eventually they're going to start work at rebuilding and restoring the temple. See, when I went home that day, this is a point I wanted to make, is I told my wife, and there was nothing that was really offensive in our house, but there were certain things that God put in my heart. You don't need that. Get rid of that. Yeah, you don't need that. Get rid of that. That's not important. That's distracting you. It wasn't even wrong, but it just was a distraction from what God had called me to do. And that's kind of what he's talking about here is, you know, look, we need to go further with the Lord. And if we're going to go further with the Lord, we may have to put to death some stuff. And it may not even be anything that's wrong. One of the things I was told, I was told a total uh, muscle head. I worked out four hours a day, six days a week. And after that, I was like, you know what, Lord, I don't need to do that. It's, it's more time I could spend with the Lord. Amen. It's more time I could minister to somebody else. And again, it wasn't evil or wrong, but it become too important in my life. Amen. And that's the exhortation. But notice what happens here as they're growing in their walk with the Lord. So it says in verse 18, Jehoiada appointed over the house of the Lord, the Levites, a priest, offer burnt offerings of the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing, with singing, as it is established by David. So here's what happens. They are obeying the word here. It says, as it is written in the law. They're doing what the Bible says to do. They're doing it. And then the result of doing what the Bible says to do, they're worshiping. And guys, as we're walking with the Lord, the more we get to know the Lord, the more we want to worship the Lord. Amen? And again, if you don't worship the Lord, I mean, again, I'm not going to be heavy on you, but if you love Jesus, you're going to want to worship him. Amen? And you might say, well, my voice isn't very good. It's, a, it's beautiful to the Lord. He's the only one that matters. Amen? It's okay. 
So it requires obedience to the word, and its result ultimately is worship. Notice two here as we finish up in verse 19. And he set gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord, that no one who was in any way unclean should enter in. Now, don't misinterpret this. Should unclean people come to church? What's the answer? Because if they couldn't, we wouldn't be here. We're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? Now, we're holding the eyes of the Lord. But what, what this is saying here in, in application to us today, that as believers, they have guards up to keep the evil out. And as believers, I believe we need to have accountability in our walk with God. Amen? I believe that we need to be sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, they're putting up guards to keep the evil out. And, we, and what we need to do as believers is say, Lord, help me to walk in the sin of your will. You've heard me say that a few years ago, God put in my heart, grace, holiness for me, grace for everyone else. And Lord, just show me if there be any wicked way in me, anything in my life that is compromising, show me. And when I look at other people, let me not look for holiness in their life. Let me just show them grace. What most people have is grace for me and holiness for everyone else. Lord, cut me some slack and that person's a mess, right? Pointing at everyone else. But I love this picture here again in recognizing they put up a guard to keep the evil out. But the temple then, where's the temple today? It's us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So keeping the evil not out of church, uh, we, want, we want sinners at church. That's all of us. Amen? We want everyone to feel welcomed and loved. Everyone's welcome. Amen? But also, we also want to keep the evil out of our own lives and, and not allow you know, those King Agags, those things of the flesh to overcome us. You know, and I will say this, make a covenant with your eyes. I think a lot of the ways that we sin, it starts with our eyes. Amen? It's things that we look at and we either lust after or desire or hunger for, or it takes our eyes off of God. And again, we, we, we definitely don't mind unclean things in the church because this is what this is. This is a, you know, again, it's a hospital, not a police station. Amen? Finishing up, it says there in verse 20, Then he took the captains of the hundreds and nobles, the governors of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the house of the Lord. And they went through the upper gate to the king's house and set the king on the what? The throne of the kingdom. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword. You know, it's so funny that it says it was quiet because she's dead. I guess when she was around, she was doing a lot of barking. A lot of pointing to herself, stirring things up. And you know what, what happens when you have a relationship? If you want to have peace, you need to be walking with the Prince of Peace. Amen? Amen. There's no peace in the things of the world. There's no peace changing after the things. Of, there's no peace in living a life of wickedness. And look what happens. Because Jehoiada and Jehoshabeth, his wife, took little Joash and put him in their house and protected him for six years when no one else would because they stood for the things of God when everybody else was afraid of the queen because they stood by and did what was right by the end of the chapter what has happened the, de the wicked queen is gone Baal worship is gone they've torn down all the idols they're focusing back on the Lord and praise God that one man and his wife were willing to stand up because it changed all of Israel and it renewed the kingship being in the hands of the son of David who would one day bring along Jesus Christ. Amen? So in closing, what really matters in eternity? Standing for the truth when nobody else will. By placing the rightful king on the throne of your life. Who's on the, king, who's on the throne of your life? 
Note that the wicked will be taken by surprise. Again, God suffers long. He won't suffer always. And then finally, make a renewed commitment to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples in your word that we can follow. And we thank you for godly men and women like Jehoiada and Jehoshabeth. And Lord, we know they couldn't have done it without you. And neither can we. So Lord, may there be less of us and more of you. And may we be unashamed of the gospel. And may we not keep it to ourselves. And Lord, if nobody else will stand, give us the strength to stand. Not in arrogance or self-righteousness, but in humility and brokenness. Being one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. So Lord, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said...